You're listening to the Hollyview Podcast, a message from Hollyview Church in Damascus, Oregon. We hope this message encourages and challenges you in your daily walk with Christ, but doesn't replace the importance of gathering together each week with a local community of people that follow Jesus. It's together that we are being shaped by the gospel, rooted in God's word, to share God's grace and truth. Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast. I think it's a message we all need to hear today, uh, especially in this world. So I'm excited to bring it to you. Um, if you want to grab one of your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel and chapters 15 and 16. I want to begin this morning by just reading one verse. It's on page 223. If you want to look in the Bible that's in front of you, uh, page 223, 1 Samuel 16. And I want to be reading just one verse. It's verse 7. So if you, if you would, would you stand with me as I read the Word of God? This is a tradition that's dated back hundreds of years, uh, giving reverence to the Word of God, uh, standing as we read it. So 1 Samuel 16 and verse 7. Just listen along as I read. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on his height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, or the eyes, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's pray. Lord, as we come this morning, we need your eyes to be able to see. And so, Lord, as we look at your word this morning for the next few moments, would you bring words of uh, encouragement? Would you give us eyes to see the world as you see it? Would you give us your heart uh, in that and Lord, if there's people that are weary and tired uh, and just need your strength, Lord, I pray that we would all draw strength from your word this morning. So open our eyes so that we can see. Lord, open our ears so that we can hear. Lord, soften our hearts so that we'll, we'll understand just the things you'd want us to understand. That As we leave here this morning, we would leave uh, knowing you better, loving you better, reflecting you better. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, you can have a seat. There are uh, two ways to see the world, basically two ways. There's God's way to see the world, and there's humanity's way to see the world. Uh, God looks down on the world and calls things good and bad. He says, this is, this is a really good thing, this is a really bad thing. Uh, humans uh, look at it the same way, and except we define good and bad. Sometimes we say what God says is good, we say is actually evil. And sometimes what we say God is evil, we actually say, oh, that's that's really good. There's two ways that we look at the world, and we've been in this cycle uh, since the very beginning uh, of always deferring back to the way humanity sees the world. Uh, and it's a, it's a trap of that leads to sin and disobedience and brokenness over and over and over again. Uh, let, let me just give you the beginning of the story uh, in Genesis. See, see God uh, takes this watery chaos darkness and he makes it as a place for life. And in that place, he sets a garden in Eden. And in that garden, he puts two uh, very special trees. The tree of life, where they eat from and you can live forever, or the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If they eat from that, they're going to be cut off and die. And then God says to the, to the man who he's put there, hey, everything in this garden is for you. It's full of life and enjoyment. Everything you can, you can eat and enjoy in this, this garden, except for one thing, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, which is in the middle of the garden. Don't eat from that. That's bad. Well, God knew that it's not good for man to be alone. 
Amen, men? Like, <laughs> it's not good that we're alone. So he creates a woman, uh, and, and she comes right beside her. Uh, and then one day in the middle of the garden, when the man and the woman are together, the serpent comes to the woman and, and deceives her. He, he wants her to see something as, as good that God says that's not good. She sees this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and it says in the Bible, and she sees that it's good for food. And, and so she takes it, and she eats it, and then she gives some to her husband who was, who was right there with her. And he takes it and puts the food to his mouth, and in that instant, when he takes that food, their eyes were open, and they realize they're naked and guilty and ashamed, and they hide. Then God comes, says, what, what have you done? And then the blame shifting be, begins. Uh, uh, it, was the, it was the snake. It was the created things that you did. It was, it was the woman. And finally, even Adam goes, it was you, Lord. If you wouldn't have given me this woman, if you wouldn't have done this, this is all your fault. Just blame shifting all over. And I'm telling you, that's the story that we all find ourselves even in today. It's the basic story of seeing something as good that God said is evil and then taking it for ourselves, listening to the voices of everyone other than God, defining what is evil as good, taking it for ourselves, being confronted with our sin, and then we, we shift blame. It was, it was him, it was her, it was them, it was, the, it was this, it was this organism, it was everything, anything but me. That's the story of sin. And it all begins with how we see, doesn't it? Do you, do you see that? How you see things. Well, as we come back to our text today, that, that's what we're going we're gonna to see. Uh, as in 1 Samuel 15, we're going to look at this cycle of, of sin in humanity and, and how hum, humanity sees the world. And especially through Saul, as he sees the world, he sees something that God has said is not good, as good. He takes it for his own. He listens to the voice of everyone but God, and then he shifts blame to everyone. We're going to see this in the story this morning. But then in chapter 16, we're going to see how God sees the world. And if you want to live the good life, if you want to follow after God, to be able to see the world as he sees it is so important. So if you have your Bibles, let's look. We'll start back. It'll actually be a page before in page 222 in your in your Bibles in front of you, or if it's in your own Bible, I don't know what page it's on. But let's look in 1 Samuel 15 and verse 1. We're going to see the cycle of the sin of humanity. 1 Samuel 15, verse 1, it says, And Samuel said to Saul, The Lord sent me to anoint you king over his people Israel. Now, therefore, listen to the words of of the Lord. And he goes on from there and he it describes this thing. I have a mission for you, Saul. Uh, you're God's instrument, and here's what I want you to do. There is this group of people called the Amalekites. Now, the Amalekites, we may not, maybe you've heard of, maybe you haven't, uh, but you have to picture this group of people that have been generationally wicked and evil. Uh, so it's if somebody came into your home and just murdered people and killed people and raped people and took everything. The most vulnerable people that you can imagine. These people are the ones that would take and steal and like they were evil, just wicked through and through. And God has waited patiently that they would repent and they just haven't repented for hundreds of years. And so finally God says, look, 
I'm going to use you, Israel, to bring judgment on these, on these people. I want you to go, and I want you to, I want you to just, rid, just get rid of them. Just remove the evil from you. Everything from, from the oldest guy down to the youngest sheep, it's so wicked. It's like ISIS on steroids, if you can think of that. So think of ISIS on steroids. That's the, the Amalekites. Absolutely wicked, wicked people. And God's saying, finally, after a long period of, of patience, I want to bring justice through the Israelites. So he's going to send Saul then to, bring, to be his uh, instrument of justice. Look in verse 7. We're skipping down just a little bit. And Saul defeated the Amalekites from Havilah as far as Shur, which is east of Egypt. And he took Agag, the king of the Amalekites, alive and devoted to destruction all the people uh, with the edge of the sword. But Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fattened calves and, all, and the lambs and all that was good and would not utterly destroy them. All that was despised and worthless, they devoted to destruction. I just want to just pause here just for a second. I want to see something. There's something that's happening uh, actually in the original language that we don't pick up as much. Uh, in verse 9, it says, And Saul and the people spared. Now that verb spared, and this is for you English people, it's third person singular masculine. That's the English lesson. Third person singular masculine, which, which means it's singular. It's one person. It's masculine. It's a he. Uh, so it's referring back to Saul. So it's actually Saul, and then there's a bunch of people with Saul. But what this verse is saying is that Saul spared all these things, and there were people there. So that's, that's important to point out, that Saul, he sees all these things uh, as good and as the best, and he is the one that spares them. It's very, it's very clear uh, in Hebrew. Uh, verse 10, the word of the Lord came to Samuel. I regret I have made Saul king, for he has turned back from following me, and he has not performed my commandments. And Samuel was angry, and he cried to the Lord all night. Verse 12. And Samuel rose early to meet Saul in the morning. And it was told Samuel, Saul came to Carmel. And behold, he set up a monument for himself and turned and passed on and went down to Gilgal. And Samuel came to Saul and Saul said to him, Blessed be you to the Lord. I have performed the commandment of the Lord. And Samuel said, What then is this bleeding of the sheep in my ears and the lowing of the oxen that I hear? Saul said, they have brought them from the Amalekites, for the people spared the best of the sheep and of the oxen to sacrifice to the Lord your God, and the rest we have devoted to destruction. Then Samuel said to Saul, stop, I will tell you what the Lord said to me this night. And he said to him, okay, tell me. And Samuel then reveals to Saul, you have fallen into this cycle of sin that has been going on since the beginning of humanity. Listen to how he says it, verse 19. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord? Why did you pounce on the spoil and do what was evil in the sight of the Lord? Verse 20. And Saul said to Samuel, that's not how I see it. This is what he says. I have obeyed the voice of the Lord. I have gone on the mission on which the Lord sent me. 
I have brought Agag, the king of uh, Amalek, and have devoted the Amalekites to destruction. But the people, they took of the spoil, the sheep and the oxen, and the best of the things devoted and the best of the things devoted to destruction, to sacrifice to the Lord your God in Gilgal. And Samuel said, Has the Lord as great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifices as in the obeying or the listening to the voice of the Lord? Behold, to obey is better than sacrifice and to listen than the fat of rams. For rebellion is as the sin of divination, And presumption is as iniquity and idolatry. Because you have rejected the word of the Lord, he has also rejected you from being king. Verse 24, Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned, for I have transgressed the commandment of the Lord and your words, because I feared the people and obeyed or listened to their voice. Now, therefore, please pardon my sin and return with me, that I may bow before the Lord. And Samuel said to Saul, I will not return with you, for you have rejected the word of the Lord, and the Lord has rejected you from being king over Israel. As Samuel turned to go away, Saul seized the skirt of his robe, and it tore. And Samuel said to him, The Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you this day, and has given it to, your neighbor, to a neighbor of yours who is better than you. He goes on to there, and actually Samuel does go. Uh, And it really seems like Saul is just trying to save face. He's trying to receive honor even in his disobedience. But Saul makes things right, and he ends up uh, like butchering, basically, the king of Agag. He says, this guy is evil, and you've you've saved him to be like this crown in your, like jewel in your own crown. Like you're so great that you beat this guy. And Samuel, even as his old age, uh, kills it and makes things right. See, Saul, he says... uh, this is how I see the situation. And God says, no, you're seeing it all wrong. You have done something evil that I, you've done something uh, evil that I said is not good. And you said, no, this is really good. And it's the same cycle. Hopefully you've seen that as we've read it. It's the same cycle of sin that we all fall into. And I want to point out just three ways that hum- humanity in general, even us today, uh, how we see the world uh, that seeps into, seeps into each one of us. The first thing is humanity sees that the end The ends justify the means. Humanity sees that the ends justifies the means. So it says, look, okay, we didn't exactly obey everything that you commanded. Uh, You know, we brought some good stuff back, but that good stuff back we brought to sacrifice to you. And after all, Lord, you want the very best sacrifice, right? Well, we found the very best. So does it really matter how, how we got it here? We're offering it to you. And God says, absolutely it matters. The ends don't justify the means. I want integrity and honesty all throughout, not just to the end point of it. You know, I think we, we do this sometimes uh, too, don't we? Uh, maybe you fudge a little bit on your resume. Maybe add a little bit of extra something in because, I mean, after all, if you get this job, it'll give you a better pay, which means you won't have to work as much, Right? So you're providing for your family, and you'll be home. You'll actually be a better dad. So, so let's just fudge a little bit on that. You know, if your parents knew that you hadn't studied as well on that test that you should have, uh, they're going to be really upset. So if you get bad grades, that's really bad. Uh, your parents are going to be upset. So, if, I mean, if, if, you, if you borrow someone's work, if you, if you just, you know, uh, copy off them a little bit, 
Well, it'll actually be for the good, right? Because then your parents won't be upset. Everyone will be happy. And isn't that what you really want? But that's not how God sees the world. Humanity sees that the ends justifies the means. And the second one is that humanity sees, it sees good where God says is evil. It sees good where God says is evil. Uh, God tells Samuel to tell Saul, get rid of all of us. This is just this is evil, wicked. This is just, oh, it's just disgusting. I don't want anything to do with these Amalekites. It's just completely against me. And they get there, and what God has said is wicked and evil. All of a sudden, Saul is like, oh, that's good. Well, that's, that's, that's the best. Let's get the best of that. Boy, that's really, that's good stuff. And so he gathers all these, like, all this loot and, and sheep and oxen. It's not even that he's not even hiding it. He's just so blinded himself and calling what God says is evil good. And so there's this bleeding of the sheep and the lowing of the oxen and all, I mean, all around. They can see it. And Samuel's like, what is this? You're saying this is good? God said this is wrong. This is evil. This is wicked. And as humans, we're so good at doing that. Redefining good and evil outside of what God says. Oh, this is a really good, this is a really good show. Uh, I mean, besides the immorality and, uh, you know, the sexual things and, you know, the ethics is not that great. But it's a really good, it's a good show. And then we label good what God says, hmm, that's really not anything after my, my heart. Well, that's good music, except for the words. I mean, I know they're against God's, like, whole design for things, but it's good. It's good. Uh, we had a really good time. I mean, okay, somebody's got drunk a little bit, but, you know, they, were, they needed to let down a little bit. It was a, good, it was a good time. We need to be careful then. What we label as good, that it's not in direct opposition to what God has said, that is wrong, that is evil. And so deceive ourselves and get to a place where, where Saul got to. And the last thing is humanity sees the sin in others first. Humanity sees the sin in others first. We, we see the brokenness and destruction in everyone else uh, very clearly. Uh, we can see where they're doing things wrong. Um, in verse 9, Saul clearly is the one that spared the animals. Then he blames these broken people. They took it. And ultimately, he blames God. He even tells Samuel, well, we took it to, to sacrifice to your God. He's not even his God because God's requiring something that Saul's like, he, it's even asking too much from us. It's actually his fault. We're great at seeing the sin and brokenness of other people. Uh, and I wonder, I fall into this too. How, how, how often have you been someplace and you're like, man, I, I just wish so-and-so was here to hear this. Anyone ever? If you're even thinking that right now, boy, I wish so-and-so was here to hear this. That would really get to them. Why? Because they're really broken, and they really need this help. And let me just say to you this morning, not to, not to condemn you, but to say, uh, if you're here this morning and you're hearing this, I think God's providence means that he wants you to hear it, not, not your friend, not your family member. We blame others for our sin, uh, my parents. Uh, if my dad wouldn't have done that, if my mom wouldn't have done that, if my friends wouldn't have influenced me in that way. We blame our, our kids for how we react as parents. Well, if they wouldn't have been so uh, just aggravating, I wouldn't have had to blank. And, 
and we blame other we blame absolutely everyone else other than ourselves. Humanity is great. We're great at that. We're great at seeing the sin of others way before we can see the sin of ourselves. But that's not how God sees it. The, the chapter ends with uh, Samuel making things right by um, like kind of brutally killing this king of Agog who is prideful and, I mean, he's just a, just a, bad, just a bad guy. Now we get to chapter 16. And it's the opposite. It's not how humanity sees it. It's going to be see how God sees it. Uh, and, and hopefully, as we listen to this, we'll be able to follow along with how God sees the world. Uh, look in your Bibles in chapter 16. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil and go. I will send you to, to Jesse, the Bethlehemite, for I have excuse me, provided... For myself a king among the sons. For I've provided for myself a king among his sons. Uh, that word provided right there. It's actually the exact same Hebrew word as to see. Uh, so he says, uh, for I have seen for myself a king among his sons. Uh, I've looked and I know who is going to be king. I have seen for myself. Verse 2, and Samuel said, how can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. Because he, remember, he's the king. And the Lord says, well, take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him who I declare to you. Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him trembling and said, do you come peaceably? Remember, he just uh, killed the king of Agag, and they're like, oh, boy, Samuel's here to clean house. Is he cleaning house here? In verse, uh, verse 5, and Samuel said, peaceably, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Verse 6, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before me. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance or the eyes, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before him. And he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shammah pass by, and he said, Neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, The Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all your sons here? And he said, Well, there remains yet the, the youngest. Now, that word is the, the smallest, the, the runt of the litter. But behold, he's keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he, set, and, and he sent and brought him him in. Now he was ruddy, and he had beautiful eyes, and he was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. Then Samuel took the horn of the oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now God 
anoints or exalts the smallest, the weakest, uh, the runt of the litter, who is doing the most menial job out in the field of watching sheep. I mean, you think about it, his own father didn't even call him. When he's like, hey, gather all your sons, uh, there's going to be an announcement of, of something's going to happen here. Get all your sons here, consecrate them. And he, he invites all of them but one. Uh, this one who's overlooked, he's young, he's smaller than all of them, he doesn't look the, he doesn't look the part. But then we see that the Lord doesn't see as humanity sees. Uh, humanity is confused. We look on things the wrong way. We, we call good what God says is bad, and we call, uh, we call bad what God says, no, that's, that's good. We've seen how uh, looking on the tallest and the strongest in Saul, we've seen how that's gone, and God says, no, 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 let's don't do that again. I see things differently. And I want to spend just a few moments on, on that one verse. Uh, verse 7. Uh, I want us to take just a little bit of time and, and meditate and think and chew on it a, a little bit. Uh, this verse uh, tells us right at the beginning that, that um, man looks on the outward appearance. Uh, it's, it's literally the eyes, uh, what it's translated. But, but God looks on the heart. Uh, before that, it says that the way God sees things, it's the action, it's the verb, the way God sees the world is different than how humanity sees the world. They're, they're different. These actions are different. And because these actions are different, the object of what they see is different. When God, what God values is different than what humanity values. It's the action of, of seeing is different. Um, now, this is, these are deep waters here, and I spent a, a lot of time with some Australian guys just in reading their stuff this week, and also a guy named Alistair Begg. Uh, does anyone know Alistair Begg? Oh, he's delightful. Man, if you could listen to him. He's, uh, he's Scottish, and he was in Northern Ireland for a long time and has just a great brogue about him. Uh, and he wrestled with this verse as well. Uh, and between those guys and these interpreters, they, they came up with a, a different way to translate this verse that, that I think gets pretty close to the heart of the matter. Uh, this is how they, they translated it. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height or his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks according to the eyes but the Lord according to the heart. Uh, there's a little uh, preposition there that gets confusing, and it actually has a, a wider range. It could be to the heart. It could be from the heart. It could be according to the heart. It, it's, you have to sit it in context of what it, what it means. And I think some of that ambiguity is actually uh, the point of this. Uh, God, God looks... Um, from his heart to the hearts of individuals. He's not looking on the outward appearance. Whereas man, we look with our two eyes and we see the appearance of other people and that's how we make judgment calls. But God doesn't, God doesn't judge like that. Uh, the, these men, they go on to suggest um, that is God sees and chooses according to his own heart and will. So when God chooses David, Jesse's youngest son, to be the king, the choice, and this is important, the choice is not so much about how God is on David's heart, but how David is on the heart of God. 
It's, it's not so much about how God is on David's heart, but on, but on how David is on the heart of God. Uh, yes, I think David had a, a pure heart and a faithful heart, and that's why I think God looks on his heart to see, will this young man, even if he doesn't have the skills, will he follow me? But even more than that, we're going to see that David's going to mess up over and over again. But, but God's heart for David, he chooses him. Hey, over everything, you don't have the skills, you don't have the stature, you don't have the height, the experience, everything. doesn't matter, I'm choosing you from my heart because that's the way I'm seeing the world. And This also makes a little bit of sense with, with David's account. So further on in 2 Samuel 7, David gives an account for all these blessings he's received from the Lord and how God's going to set up his, his kingdom, his house above uh, all these other people. And he looks back and he says this in uh, 2 Samuel 7 and verse 20. And what more can David say to you? For you know your servant, O Lord God, because of your promise. And according to your own heart, you have brought about all this greatness to make your servant know it. He's saying it's not about me. It's not about how great I am or what a great ruler I am. It's all because your heart so graciously chose me and put me in this place. It's not how great or skilled you are. It's that you're on the heart of God. Do you get that? God loves you. He has purpose and a plan for you. He he, he wants to use you. He wants to redeem you, to heal you, to call you, to use you. And you could say, oh, no, Lord, I'm not that great. And he goes, I know. Come with me. I'll redeem you. I'll sharpen you. I'll mature you. Here's the picture of the heart of God. And it's from his own words. He says this more often in the Old Testament of an explanation of who he is than anything else. It's found in Exodus 34 and half a dozen or a dozen other places. Exodus 34, verse 6. Moses is there. And God passes in front of Moses and says... This is who I am. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. Keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sins, but who, who will by no means clear the guilty. The way that God sees this world from his heart to our hearts is... is uh, categorically different than the way we tend to see the world. Um, I, I think that's been the case this last year. As we look at the world and go, man, what a train wreck this world is. And God says, no, I'm moving. I'm, I'm working. And it may seem, uh, it, maybe it's not as comfortable for you, but I'm, I'm working in you because my heart is for you, for your, for your good. And so if you're, here, if you're here this morning and you're feeling like, man, uh, I don't know where I'm at or what, what I'm doing or I'm not that good, I've messed up a bunch, I, I feel like I'm out of control, I know that you're on God's heart, that he is calling you to himself, that he wants you to see even your situation that he is in, how he can redeem that and call you and make you his own. And for those of us who are, are living and are following after the Lord, wouldn't, would it be that we all see others not according to our own eyes, but according to the Lord's heart? 
a heart that hurts for the hurting, that draws near the suffering, that gently calls the lost, is patient and kind, is slow to anger and abounding in love, that we would be people after God's own heart, that when we look at the world, when we see our situations, that we would see the heart of God in those situations. Now, maybe, maybe God has uh, somebody on your heart right now that he wants you to change how you see them. Uh, maybe it's a neighbor or a coworker, uh, a sibling, a, a parent, that you're looking at them and going, what a train wreck. I just don't even like being around them. They're just a goofball. They're just a failure. They, they don't have what it takes. That's how humanity sees. Look at them with the heart of God. Someone made in the image of God from the, from the very beginning to reflect, to reflect him and know that God's heart is for that person and it should change then how we see them. Now, through the rest of the chapter, we won't read it, the rest of chapter 16, uh, the spirit leaves Saul, which means Saul's total humanity. Uh, the spirit is not leading or directing him. And so he has these evil, tormenting things, and he's just not at peace. Uh, if we judge Saul's heart at this moment, we would say, bad guy, evil guy, we don't like to be around him. And yet it's at that moment that the messenger sends to David and says, hey, uh, would you come and play? Play a, a, this lyre for him, like a guitar. And, and as David comes and plays, it soothes, it soothes him. Not because uh, David looked on Saul's heart and said, yeah, this is a guy I can serve. This is a guy who's really good. But because he looked at Saul through the heart of God and said, I will serve him even if he's my enemy. That's the heart of God, isn't it? That even while we were yet sinners, enemies to God, that God laid down his life for us. So hopefully... As we walk through even today and this next week and we have struggles with people around us and we see the world in one way, that we'll be reminded that it's through the heart of God that we should see the world. Let's pray and we'll invite the worship team to come back up. Lord, I, I totally admit that my default is to see, uh, see the ends and the polished good and... Uh, but it doesn't matter if, if we we're fighting on the way to church. Once we get to church, let's look good, and that's all that really matters, that we see the ends justifies the means. And, Lord, that's not what you want at all. You, you want a heart that's pure and follows uh, after you. Lord, how um, quick we are to see the, the sin of other, of other people and be blind to our own. So, Lord... Uh, it's not a calling to see judgment. It's a calling to see compassion and care and kindness and patience and love and justice. So, Lord, I pray that you would give us um, eyes to see uh, from your heart to the heart of all those around us and your care and compassion for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You've been listening to the Hollyview Podcast. Please join us for our worship service every Sunday morning at 1030. We're located on Southeast 257th Avenue, just off Highway 212 in Damascus, Oregon. And you can find us online at hollyviewchurch.com.
Thank you for listening to the Hollyview Podcast.